Welcome to another episode of Wish How I Knew, a podcast where I speak with people about their careers, focusing on their success, advice, mentoring, and listening to their interesting stories. I'm your host, Gary Nowak, and today I had so much fun with my wise beyond his years guest, Alex Rubira. Quick overview of his career, because it isn't that long. Worked at KFC for over six years, started when he was 14, spent a year at a bank, entered the grad program at Telstra, working over four years with positions in human resource delivery partner role, transformation and people business consultant, senior change and implementation consultant. He's got a degree in business and commerce from the University of Technology in Sydney. Some highlights from our discussion. KFC taught him a lot about customer service, and he's pulling that through even today in his career. His parents were major influencers, brought up in a very strong work ethic. His parents met in Australia, but they both migrated separately from Portugal. Really interesting stuff. The grad program at the Australian Telco, the assessment process where he thought he had nothing to lose. He had a lot to take away, showed up and put his best foot forward, and he noticed that other applicants put a lot of undue, unnecessary pressure on them. How HR has been a deliberate career choice for Alex, applying for just three grad programs when others were applying for 50, yeah, five zero. loves building relationships, working in a team, impacting those around him. He mentioned something that I really liked. He over-indexes on collaboration, listening, and learnings from his peers. Some things he talked about were building relationships, using the term help me understand as part of the business world. And he also said there's a finite timeline where you can use the newbie card when you're new at something to keep asking questions and learning more about what other people are doing. I thought that was very insightful. Curiosity for him is the key. The pecking order in the Ribeiro household with the kids being third and Jesus being second Know a little about what you know, you might know who number one is. Advice, always work hard, do what you enjoy, not what others want you to do. Big influences are in his life. Nearly losing $50,000, failing big and failing early. Great for his career. Dealing with people losing their jobs. Tough situation for everybody, especially for someone with his level of experience. Success isn't a set career plan or destination at this point. Finally, what he would do with a hundred and a thousand dollars. This guy is a giver. Let me get out of your way. You don't want to hear from me anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Alex Ribeiro. Alex, happy to have you on my podcast. I have been looking forward to this for a long, long time for several reasons. So thanks for joining me. No worries. Absolute pleasure to be on your show, Gary. So thanks so much for having me. My first question what was your very first job? Yeah, very first job um, was actually at my local KFC. <laughs> so I was 14 years old. I think I was earning about seven Australian dollars an hour. So couldn't wasn't even enough to buy a burger from from the restaurant itself. And I absolutely loved it. So I, at the time, I thought it was the most important thing in the world. Yeah, it was and I was there for maybe six, seven years. So awesome experience. How old were you when you started? 14. You started work at 14 at KFC? Yeah. yeah. Needed some needed some cash to go to the tuck shop at school. <laughs> so started at 14 and yeah, it was I think I I pretty much consistently worked 2 to 3 days a week from 14 to yeah, 19 and it was props to anyone who works at, in retail or hospitality, it was tough managing customers, complaints, and it was actually quite a fast-paced environment to be honest. The one it's five minute walk from my house it's yeah super busy what did you learn most from those six years oh good question <laughs> I, well i didn't learn about the 11 herbs and spices but uh, i learned a lot of you know it was a lot of great experience it was great experience in responding to customers needs and just basic principles in like a, a transaction between a product and my role in providing great service to every customer. Uh, and as I said, at, at being young and naive, it was like, I, I, I thought it was the most important job in the world. I treated every customer, they were there, they were splashing a ton of cash for their $8 burger combo. <laughs> so I would treat them um, as best as I could or service them as best I could. And yeah, you learn a, a lot just working with customers, responding to their needs, managing complaints, 
yeah, great life skills to have, and I'd recommend it to anyone. Where do you think you got that? Because that's it's a great trait, have great customer service skills, and wanting to do it. Where does that come from? I think less the customer experience, customer service skills, more so. I guess work ethic has. I definitely attribute that to my parents. So they just they both immigrated from Portugal and have always been quite hardworking, and I've been able to witness that firsthand. Dad's a carpenter, mum's a cleaner, and they've just always worked super hard every single day. And I just learned that early on as soon as I started work at KFC and every day I would show up to work and I would just absolutely try my best and whatever in whatever environment, whether it was in – because I, I did a number of different roles, not only at KFC, but I, I worked in some retail stores. So whatever it was, I would always just give it 100%. And I think my parents just infused that into me. Nice. I love it. The immigrant mentality, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. So let's kind of walk through your career and uni. Where did you go? What did you do? What did you focus on and, and what you're doing today? Yep. Yeah, so I started studying a Bachelor of Business and majored in marketing and human resources. At the time, while studying, I was also working part-time in retail banking so again, great experience in customer service and it was a bit more complicated or sophisticated, I guess. Hold on. You were at KFC and then while you're at uni, you got another job in retail banking? Yes. Bit of a go-getter, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. It was a bit of a, felt like a huge step up going from KFC to a bank. You reckon? Don't know what they, yeah, don't know how I sold them on in the interview process, but must have <laughs> said something right. So yeah, it was actually a crazy experience. But I think that, to be honest, the fundamentals were exactly the same. They were, people at KFC were coming to me for delicious chicken. (laughs) People at the bank were coming for withdrawals and deposits. And I was actually, I was working in the business banking section. So I met all of the local businesses across the suburb that I was working in, in my branch. And yeah, awesome experience, developed a number of different relationships. And yeah, actually loved that job. And Unfortunately, I was only there for about 12 months, but the reason for that is I was accepted into a grad program in human in the human resources streams in my current organization, which is a telco company in Australia. And yeah, I've been here ever since. It's been about four and a half years now. I've worked in a number of different roles. The beauty about a grad program is when I started, I had a rotation program so I would work in different parts of the organization and dip my feet into a lot of different areas. And that was, I could not be a, a bigger advocate. I learned so much. I, and I'm still, you know, to this day, still learning a lot, but it gave me some really great rudimentary skills on HR, learned the fundamentals of policy process, and then just great corporate skills as well. What was the process to get into the grad program? Yeah, it was um, a pretty, I guess, rigorous recruitment process. So there were a few stages involved. There were the initial screening with my resume, my reviewing my marks at uni, GPA and whatnot. Uh, And then you go through phone interviews, video interviews, an assessment centre. So I had to do an assessment centre, which was a a group interview in face-to-face, which is not too common probably now. Everything is obviously virtual. And from there, then I went into a final interview and I had a a bit of an interesting background because I didn't really have a lot of the other applicants had, to be completely honest, a lot more human resource experience than I did. They, you know, would have done internships or were working at in recruitment or part time in another organization whilst at uni. I had this super interesting background where I worked at KFC, (laughs) the bank. I to be honest, HR wasn't, it wasn't my, I guess, best subject at university. I was actually, my better subjects were accounting and statistics and human resources for me were, was a deliberate career choice because I really liked the people side to HR and I didn't want to be stuck doing, you know, accounting day in, day out. So I thought I'd give it a try. Because you're kind of a people person, right? And you learned that at KFC, customer service, you enjoyed that aspect of it. And you went to the retail bank, you enjoyed that aspect of it. So that's why you gravitated towards HR, right? Yeah, I, I absolutely love, I think, favorite in every role that I've had. I really love just meeting people, building relationships and working in a team. So 
probably another big thing for me in all of the roles that I've done. I, I just love the aspect of working in a team and making real impact to your team or and, and to the people around you. And I get that. And you get that. I got that at KFC. I got that at the bank. I have that now in my role. And I've also grown up playing a lot of sport. So just that sense of kind of community and team really drives me day to day. I think I cut you off at the grad program. A lot of interviews, you're going in there, they're testing you. Why do you think they chose you for the grad program? Or what makes you think you stood out? Yeah, I think at the time, I went in with a lot of confidence, to be completely honest, into the assessment center, into each round of the interview process. And I did that because I, I felt this, I felt like I had nothing to lose. I had a great job already at the bank, which I, as I said, I thoroughly enjoyed. And I was like, okay, well, I'll go through this process and if I get it, fantastic. It would be a great opportunity. If I And if I don't, there are other opportunities. And so I, and, and to this day, I think every role that I approach is, you know, I don't have that role. I would like that role, but if I don't get it, you know, it is what it is and there'll be other opportunities. So I went in with a sense of confidence and I feel like some other applicants put a lot of pressure on themselves, particularly grads or people who are rolling off or, you know, finishing their degrees. I could notice there was a lot of pressure, all these people graduating at the same time, everyone looking for a job in a big corporate in the same industry or it's very similar industries. And yeah, it is a highly competitive program. And so I just went in there, I built relationships with the, even the assessors. It was actually quite interesting. There was a networking event prior to the assessment center and there was a couple of little sections, one for HR, one for you know, finance for, for every stream. And you could definitely see each applicant would gravitate to their own stream. And everyone, I, I remember all the HR applicants would just go straight to the HR stream. And I actually, I just had a random conversation with this lady who was supporting recruitment for our IT space. And just because I'm sure I could learn a lot from her just generally and we ended up chatting for about 30 minutes and then turns out the day of the assessment center, there was a last minute change and the person who was meant to be recruiting and assessing for HR actually called in sick. This lady who I've spent 30 minutes and was recruiting for IT had then joined as the assessor. So everyone else had you know, tried to build this relationship with this one person who called in sick. So that actually played in my advantage because I, I walked in the door and I was like, oh, hey, we, we had a great chat a few weeks ago. So, yeah, it, I think it, it was a confidence and building relationships with people really helped me. So if you had a good job at the bank, what drove you to go for this this program, this grad program? Yeah, great, great question. <laughs> I don't actually I don't actually know. I feel like I wanted to leverage and, and use what I learned at uni, my degree, and it just felt like the natural thing to do. I always, I, particularly early on, I, I felt my life was a bit linear. It was like work hard in high school, get a great ATAR, which is your kind of final score, and then go to university, do really well at university, get a great GPA, and then go into a grad program. It just felt... I know, it just very linear. It just felt like something that I had to do, to be completely honest. And ultimately, why I applied was I had a relative who worked in the company and said, oh, hey, applications are open. Maybe you should throw your, your hat in the ring. And I was like, yeah, actually, I read a bit about the, the role. And I was like, yeah, this could be a great opportunity. I'll learn a lot. And that, for me, is I really value learning and learning new things. I've been in that banking role for about 12 months now. And I'm like, yeah, I could do something different, expand on my kind of current skill set, develop existing skills. So yeah, that, that really was all the motivation I needed. And I don't know, in hindsight, given what I, the experience that I had in the grad program, which is incredibly you know pleasant and I've learned so much, um, I would have applied for a lot more grad programs because I only applied for about three and you hear stories of people applying for about 50. And I, I, so if I would, if I went back, I would definitely apply for a lot more because yeah, it's done a lot of favors for my career. 50, five, zero. Five, yeah. There are some crazy stories. Yeah. Holy moly. So you applied for three, which is okay. 
That's fair, but not when you're comparing to somebody that applied to 50. But I think, to be honest, it also worked out well because then I had a pretty straight focus on you know those three applications and I could just give everything on those three applications. Um, and I ended up getting two offers, to be honest. I got two, one for my current and one for another. It was actually for Unilever. And wow. it was great. The, the ball was in my court at that point in time. And the reason why I chose my current organization was because their recruitment process was actually quicker. And so by the time that they offered me the role, I was like, yeah, cool, I'll take it. <laughs> so they do do something quickly. That's great. Give me your <laughs> perspective, because I thought it was very insightful. You're a grad, you're looking at your peers, and you notice that there's more pressure on them, or you're seeing more pressure from them. Whereas you're got confidence, you got a good job, you actually like it. This is, hey, this could be good for me. It seems very linear. So if you're seeing that in your peers, how do you think the executives are seeing that? Are they seeing the same thing? Yeah, I think so. It was pretty evident in the in the assessment center. There was about seven of us. And to be honest, it felt super competitive as opposed to because we had to do some group pro we had to do some group activities in the session and there were obviously the assessors were in the room and it felt super competitive as opposed to collaborative which wasn't really my kind of cup of tea at the time but it was really easy to observe how did you how did you show up to assessment i think i showed up with the mindset of again i have nothing to lose but also i can take a lot out of this process it was something i hadn't i'd never it was my first assessment center never never experienced anything like it obviously at uni you work in a lot of group assignments and you're always collaborating with your peers and so i i went into it with well i didn't think i was going to get the role or i was going to progress into the next stage but i went into it with the mindset of i'll learn something from this and you know i actually found it quite right i found it really enjoyable to be honest there were some shark tank exercises where you have 30 minutes and work on a pitch and then present that pitch back to the assessor and i was like oh that's actually i don't know it sounds a bit nerdy but (laughs) it's quite fun it was like you know complex problem solving you have a timer i'm like yeah i can win a prize and (laughs) so i quite enjoyed it so you didn't have any pressure at all that was your first one and the key to your success there was being confident and relaxed and no pressure on yourself right interesting yeah that's great And that came through. So people see it. So quick story. I've been reading uh, Matthew McConaughey's book, or I listened to it, Green Lights. And what he said in it when he moved out to LA, he moved in with a gentleman in Malibu. And he says, hey, I got to find something. And the guy said, this city smells desperate. Get out of here. Go get less desperate. Because you're going to walk into meetings and they're going to know that you want it. They're going to know that you're desperate. So I went to Europe, drove around on motorcycles for a while, but came back with a renewed confidence. So you and Matthew McConaughey have a very similar story. Yeah, yeah that's definitely the moral of the story there. <laughs> right. That's a, And I'm going to figure out a way to link you to Ronaldo in Portugal somehow. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but you might be the Ronaldo of Sydney or something. I'm not sure. But that's, how do you, I guess I don't really have a poignant question, but I guess for people listening or young people going through that, it's how do you show up to an assessment where obviously you're nervous, you got a lot riding on it, but to relax and have some confidence with it. I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if you have advice to people yeah. going through that. Yeah, my, my advice is clear, it's, just, it's very cliche, but it is really about just be yourself. And I think the biggest for me, it's really don't put pressure on yourself or as much pressure on yourself. Go in with the mentality of, again, you have nothing to lose. And I always, for any recruitment process, I always give the kind of analogy. It's like going in and meeting prospective housemates. If you're going to go and live in a share house or meet new people and you want to live with them, the the recruiter will always, the recruiter, like someone that you're talking to about moving into a share house, they want to live or work with people that they think they can you know get along with so for me it was less about the technical skills and particularly in the grad assessment by the time you get to the assessment center it was clear all of these people and everyone that you're competing with are super competent you know everyone has gotten great marks at university everyone has a great work ethic it's not it like obviously it's props props to everyone who goes through the process but got to keep in mind when you're a grad and you don't have 
the experience, they're not necessarily looking for those technical skills, particularly at that stage in your career. So I, I always over-indexed on my my personal, my interpersonal skills, actually showing empathy in conversation, showing my collaboration, listening, super important, actually in the in the room, listening to the instructor, listening to the your peers that whilst you might think you're competing with them, you can gain a lot from them um, and actually help your own interview process by bouncing ideas off each other. So that's my biggest advice. It's think go into the room like you're meeting a new housemate. You know? Try and you no one wants to live with someone who's gonna not clean the dishes or leave crap everywhere around the house. So make sure that you're showing up as best as you can. So essentially you want to be liked. Yeah. Basically, want to make a connection, be liked. So what you did in that process, you went over to somebody that was in HR, just ran into them. Hey, like you, you like you had a good chemistry there, building relationship, you ended up talking for 30 minutes. The stars were aligned. That person moves from IT over to HR. Says, hey, yeah. I know you. I know you. And you already got 30 minutes in, in with them. And so you, you did say earlier, you building relationships, you did that there. Any other instances there where you built a relationship? That was one example. Was there anything else in that time frame or elsewhere in your career that you build relationships? Yeah, in, in that, that, to be honest, that time frame is, it was, it feels like a lifetime ago now, but definitely in every role that I've had since I've built a number of key relationships. And it really does help every time I start a new role in particular, I always over index on creating relationships with my team, with the key stakeholders. And that really helps you navigate in your role or in your, in whatever part of the organization you're in, because no one knows everything depending on the size of your organization. And so actually building the relationships, being able to join the dots and bring people together, I think is super important. So that's always what I do. The first thing I do when I start a new role. How do you do it? Is there a template that you follow? Is there just what show up? What do you do? I think typically if I start a new role, I would always arrange some catch-ups with the individuals in the direct team and then slowly, you know, start to infiltrate the, the broader team and, you know, broader stakeholders, set up some time with them as well and actually come to them with a position of understanding. Help me understand your part of the business and you have a finite window where you can use that kind of newbie card. And so I would always say, hey, look, I'm, I'm new. And if you let your guard down, people, I always give people the benefit of the doubt. People are always happy to help you just need to have the confidence to ask and i do know early on i was actually speaking i'm currently mentoring a a grad current year grad and he has actually mentioned every time we catch up he's oh thank you so much for your time thank you so much for your time and when setting up meetings with other leaders across the organization i feel like there's this bit of a stigma particularly early on in your career to request time or ask time for them to help you and my advice there would be well it swings and roundabouts and you'll pay that forward anyway. And again, most people are really happy to have a conversation and help someone else out in navigating the organization or navigating their role. And then the other thing I would say is you know, building relationships for me, I has really helped because there are a few key individuals that I look up to or that I speak to on a regular basis just to get their perspective, whether it's professionally or, or personally. And they give me advice. And whilst I might not always take their advice, at least I, I use that to come to a decision. Uh, and that's super important. When you reach out to people and build relationships, you said a couple of things that I like. And I think you're wise beyond your years. Everything you said, you over-index on empathy, collaboration, listening in the assessments. Then you go out and, and you start building relationships. You infiltrate people. And you said... A, f- a great phrase that I've learned recently on one of my other podcasts has helped me understand. And you give people the benefit of the doubt. So what gives you the confidence to go reach out to these people? I think, I, I don't really know, to be honest. I think like you have to, as I said, you have to give people the benefit of the doubt that they're you know, there to help you. At the end of the day, you work for the same organization, right? And everything that we do, we're trying to you know do for the betterment of, of the company. And so I really... I, I do try and have those conversations and come from a, a position of understanding. And sometimes you feel like it, it is 
quite confronting because you're going to someone you're saying hey I actually don't I don't know a lot about your area and for me it was I have I've had to learn that all throughout my life being comfortable with actually not knowing something or not being the best at something or not being the subject matter expert and so I think for me I, I always acknowledge that straight up and it really helps to then give me the confidence to go and seek out the answers so I'm actually having those conversations and I come from a position of kind of curiosity and learning I'm there to learn and they can sense that as well and I sense that as well in others when people come to me in position of kind of curiosity and are probing and are genuinely interested listening I something that I, I really value yeah in in others and so that's some some of the traits that I try and exhibit any mentors in your life right now people that you look up to or influencers as well <laughs> influencers I'd say Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually, no, I'll start there. So legitimately, Ronaldo for me, because I've grown up in a Portuguese household. Yes, let's talk about it. Goes uh, Ronaldo, then Jesus, and then like family. <laughs> so the pecking order in the household. Do your parents know this? Probably. <laughs> the pecking order? Because if they don't, if they hear this, they're going to figure it out. I think they established it. Oh, I'm not saying it's my pecking order. I'm saying it's their. That, oh. That's their pecking order. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my pecking order. So you're third. Uh, yeah, I'm third. Yeah, then then it's the kids. For me, for me though, like witnessing some. I think Ronaldo is such an inspiration for me personally because of his work ethic and someone who's achieved every accolade in his field. But he's personally, I'm just in awe of his sheer work ethic to develop his skills refine his you know, skills so I, I i'm a big fan of athletes and i've grown grown up playing watching sport all my life and yes i'm a, a huge advocate for that kind of athlete mentality of just put in the work continue to just do your best day in day out so i genuinely legitimately all jokes aside all right i um i do find a lot of inspiration in ronaldo and other athletes out there in the world in terms of mentors in my current organization there's definitely a few handful of leaders or people that i definitely look up to i think there's def there's one person that comes to mind my colleague andrew in the sydney office shout out to andrew if he's if he listens <laughs> he's definitely a bit of a mentor in my life and he it's both you know professionally and personally and someone that i always seek advice from and i wouldn't say it's not really a kind of mentoring relationship we're just to be honest we're just good mates and yeah i talk to him about everything any challenges at work or i get his perspective on a particular decision or solution and as i said we even recently we don't always agree which is great but I think the, the reason why I value him so much as, you know, let's, as a mentor is even though we don't agree or I might go left instead of right, he just truly respects that decision. And then we're, at the end of the day, we're, we're still great mates. So, Why do you think it's great that you don't agree? You- yeah, I think it's fantastic that when someone doesn't agree with you because otherwise I wouldn't really be seeking their perspective. If I knew the answer where I was so confident of that this was the right decision. So I, I actively seek the perspective of others when I think that they might offer a different opinion or expand on some of my own thoughts. And this, as I said, this particular individual always does that. It would either challenge or support a current thought or you know current decision, again, personal, professional, whatever it is. And I find that perspective super valuable in actually making a decision, whatever it is. Because you're open-minded to another point of view? Is that the key element there? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think you have to take it with, yeah, whatever it is, take it with a grain of salt, right? And even I think feedback is a huge, any feedback for me I is just information. So whether it's feedback, whether it's mentoring, coaching, whatever it is, for me, it's all information. And at the end of the day, I have control of the decision. So I have to be open-minded about how I interpret that information, what I do with that information. And yeah, that's how I approach things. Any good advice you've gotten over the years or good advice that you give? Yeah, I think the advice that I 
have gotten from my parents just growing up is to always work hard, always try your best. Um, and that's just something that is always in my mind. And as I said, observing my parents work in carpentry or cleaning, which you know is seeing my dad, for example, work in renovating and building properties just in awe at the work ethic. So I, I try and apply the same kind of discipline in what I think is a, a much easier career choice or lifestyle. So always work hard, try your best. Um, and I think the other, something that I heard recently from a leader within my organisation is actually do what excites you. Do what, what you like, what you enjoy. And sometimes it might not always be what other people want you to do or what you think you need to do or if you want a really linear hierarchical progression, you should go and double down on your current role. I don't really, particularly early on in your career, I don't really believe in that. I'm always, I'm all for breadth of experience and jumping in, getting experience in everything and in anything, just because at the end of the day, you'll learn something. Was there an opportunity to follow in your father's footsteps in his career? Yeah, great question. There, there was. My dad was actually pushing for we. I have a brother. He was pushing for both of us to become you know, carpenters because that was all he knew. And both of my parents never actually went to school. They finished school. They were about 11, 12 years old in you know a village in Portugal, and so they didn't know any better. And my mum was actually so they met in Australia, and my mum was the one who pushed for education and was just like no. Nah, try in school, get to uni, do your best and go do something different. We immigrated here for you guys to have a better life and they obviously sacrificed a lot and stuff. And yeah, they yeah, they definitely did a lot. But yeah, my dad, it was he wanted a family of carpenters. Yeah. Great trade by the way. I mean, nothing wrong with it. What a yeah. difficult job. But it's interesting, an influencer in your life was your mom. Yep. Yep. She advocated for uni. It was either her or Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get that too often in podcasts, either Ronaldo or my mom. I can't figure out who's a bigger influence. Yeah. She birthed me and raised me, but boy, that Ronaldo. Yeah. <laughs> he sure Man, he scores a lot of goals. <laughs> <laughs> he scores some great goals. Yeah, no, it definitely, it definitely was my mom. She, I grow in school. Every teacher, I was a really, I was a really great student in high school. Not so much at university. And in high school, every teacher for me was that a teacher was in my eyes equivalent to a doctor. It was the most important person or most important role. And so I would always treat that person with you know, a lot of respect and I would do every piece of home. I was such a nerd. I was, yeah, I, I was a really good student, but it was because my mum had kind of, you know, in, she infiltrated me and just with all the little kind of quips and pieces of wisdom just to make sure I value going to school. For me, going to school was like a, pr a very huge privilege. Again, given both neither of my parents, a lot of my family, extended family members, none of them had the opportunity of actually going to school. So it's a bit crazy saying that out loud, but yeah, that was the reality. So looking back, have there been any maybe setbacks in your career or quote unquote failures that have turned out to be impactful for you? Yeah, actually, probably a funny story for this one. I had a biggest failure in my career would definitely be when I was working in retail banking. So as I said, I was in uni and I was, I think I was 20 years old at the time and I almost lost $50,000 in cash. What do you mean lost it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So basically I gave an extra wad of cash of 50k to armor guard so armor guard were the people who came in and managed the kind of cash supply in the business in the, in the branch and take it to wherever they need to and what basically what happened was there were always two people on point to do the account and actually give the deposit to the armor guard people as they when they came in and at the time i think they there was a deposit of about two hundred thousand. we had too much money in the safe downstairs and so we had to deposit 200000 My manager did the first count, signed it off and put it in the bag. And then I was told to do the second count. At the time, though, there was, I think it was, it was pension day. You don't want to be working at a bank on pension day. It is incredible how busy it gets. Good advice. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for those working in banking. And it was really busy. And I was working on the teller's booth and it was really busy in line. So I was told, Alex, you have to quickly go. Oh my God, need to get out of here and you have to jump back on, just go and sign the bag. So I went in and I was meant to double count the bag and I didn't. And and I well and I thought, well, you know, my manager who's been there for such a long time and told me to go and just sign the bag and hand it over was was I'm I'm hundred percent sure that she would double count it and it would be fine. Anyway, not the case. I signed it, handed it to Armagard. There was fifty K extra in that bag and we just and they went off in their way and we only discovered it at the end of the day. We were trying to, you know, balance the books of see all the withdrawals and deposits and how much cash we had left in the branch. And yeah, we were fifty K under and it took about two to three hours of, you know, unpaid overtime for my whole team. So apologies if they're listening. <laughs> and we found out that, yeah, we gave an extra K, 50K to the armor guard. Fortunately, we managed to get it back the next day. We obviously gave them a call and said, hey, it's a bit awkward, but you have to come back. And, yeah, I guess moral of the story, don't trust me with your cash. <laughs> but also maybe never, never assume... Never assume someone will double check your work. I think I actually heard that from one of your previous episodes. What do you, is that what you take from it when somebody asks you to do something? And, you know, I was an auditor for a while and there's something called ghost ticking. You don't really check it. You just ghost tick it because a tick mark means that you looked at it and you validated it. So people would ghost tick every once in a while. I, I never did and I would never ad- advocate that. But how, do, how does that impact you today, that lesson? Oh, I've I, never again <laughs> have I not properly double checked something. I think it, yeah, it, it definitely was. It was a great experience to fail big and fail early um, on in my career. I, I think I I had there there were two things that I had to do in that sixty seconds. It was I had to serve a handful of customers, and I had to quickly get Armour Card out the door. And I had prioritized these customers. I always prioritize the people. So I was like, okay, there, there are people here. You know, they've come in for service. I need to get my, I need to get out the door and I need to go and serve these guys. And I had prioritized that, but I, I, I def, it was definitely a, a split second decision, which wasn't, yeah, didn't lead to the best outcome. But yeah, you live and you learn. You were also serving the armor guards as well because you wanted them to get out the door. So you had conflicting customers yeah. that were looking for you and it was tough for you to balance one and you had credibility in a manager i'm sure it's fine what are you most proud of or what what is your greatest accomplishment thus far Ooh, good question i mean there's i, th- I think i'm i'm proud of everything that i've done I, I don't regret anything and i'm proud in my roles that i've i like to think that i've made an impact in the team or in the people around me and you know, most you know probably equally as importantly i have you know learned something i've taken something from that and i've developed either as a person or professionally so i'm super proud of my experience thus far if i had to pick a probably a couple of experiences come to mind the first i, I was working on a large org design initiative a few years ago now and i was put on point as the hr lead or partner supporting a particular line of business and it was quite a lengthy project it was about eight months and i was supporting this business in transitioning to cross-functional agile teams and as part of that transformation there was unfortunately an impact to the employees within that space so i think there was a about a reduction of 20 30 individuals and it was i was super proud of going through that process and as we entered, in particular, as we entered into consultation, which is the period where we have to discuss the proposed changes with the employees, with you know the unions, and actually walk through the changes. So you're talking about people losing their jobs as part of the restructuring, right? Correct. Exactly right. So it was a very sensitive, it was obviously a very sensitive situation. And yeah, I was, from a HR point of view, I was on point supporting the leaders and supporting this business. And the business is about to 300 people and as we went into consultation i remember the leader of the the business had asked me to face into a number of the discussions in consultation so every day for about two weeks we would 
sit there with all of the employees on a all hands call and people would ask us questions about the changes about the policy the the redundancy process and at the time it was super challenging it was my first experience where i had to front up to employees not just not the leaders to the actual employees and come face to face with them on these impacts these redundancies and i was going through that it was yeah, I, I had to just show up every day and that's what I did. I just showed up to work every day, try my best, try to answer all the queries and give people clarity on the changes. I think that was definitely, yeah, something that kind of, that, that I had to do day in, day out. And I was, yeah, super proud of that. We ended up getting a, a good outcome by the end of it. We accepted some of the voluntary redundancy. So there were people who wanted to leave the organisation. So we actually, we got a great outcome. And I think, I like to think that the people involved were clear and informed along the way how did that impact you yeah it was definitely eye-opening again it was pretty early on in my career it was eye-opening that it's not about it's not just about work the at the end of the day just someone's job it impacts their livelihood their sense of purpose their well-being and it was it was very challenging seeing that coming face to face with some of the realities of what it meant. And for me, I I didn't really have that. I didn't understand that until I actually went through the process because I was, I I don't really have a lot of baggage. I didn't, you know, I don't have a mortgage, I didn't have a mortgage or kids or just different stages in my life. And some of these people who were 20 years my senior, obviously it was different life circumstances. And that was also very difficult for me to show up every day as well. I think there was, I, there was a bit of a kind of imposter syndrome. Here I am on the other end discussing these proposed changes and people who are skilled, very skilled, highly competent, obviously you know, great at what they do were, some of them were going to you know, lose their jobs. And yeah, it was, it was a difficult time, but definitely impacted me. So looking forward, what does success look like for you? Yeah, I think t- Success for me, I don't really have a set career plan or I I don't necessarily have a destination that I want to get to in my career. Success for me looks like if I'm personally, if I'm enjoying the role, if I have this, if I have satisfaction that I'm impacting the the particular project or providing value to a project, I should say, or helping the people around me, that for me, gives me a, a sense and a sense of success. It's really as basic as that. There's nothing. I, I do want to learn a lot across the, the organization. And I don't know whether it's whether I'll stay in HR or venture out into different parts of the organization. I'm not too concerned and I'm, I'm quite comfortable. But yeah, as long as I'm making an impact and helping others, I think, you know, I think that's a pretty successful career. Yeah, good one. Time for some fun questions. Are you up for a few? Yeah, let's send them through. <laughs> What's your favorite movie or book? Movie. This one's embarrassing because I've already told you this one. And I can't go back now. <laughs> favorite movie, Crazy Stupid Love. Gosh, it's, um, I don't know. I've just watched it a bunch of times. I haven't seen it too recently, but I absolutely love it. And I have a huge crush on Emma Stone. So, you know. Join the club. Do you have a favorite part of the movie? Oh, I think maybe I won't spoil it, but the end, finding the twist. And If somebody hasn't seen it by now, then shame on them. There are no spoilers, right? So at the end? <laughs> yeah, it's outdated. Yeah, definitely, definitely at the end when yeah, you find out. Yeah. Everything. About who Emma's dad is. Have you seen yeah, everything? Have you seen 101 Dalmatians? I haven't, but I've recently seen Cruella, the new movie, and I've, I was actually pleasantly surprised. That, sorry, that's what I meant, Cruella. How was your performance? I actually, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good movie. So, yeah, I definitely. I also re, I recently saw Parasite as well. Definitely recommend that. So definitely up there on the, the top of top of the list, yeah. And I assume you've seen Superbad, right? Oh, love Superbad. Absolutely Love Superbad. I think it was when I when it came out, I was, I was just a you know teenage boy and I was super immature comedy and absolutely at the time loved it. And it's still to this day, it, yeah, it makes me laugh. But 
that liquor store, know where the liquor store where they got all the beer and stuff. There's a there was a yeah with the McLovin. Yep. Well, yeah, where you use the ID. There was a Thai place right there. It's in Burbank. I know exactly where it's at. They had the best Thai food. I would go there all the time. I was working at Disney right around the corner. So it's great sometimes to live in LA and see, yep, I know exactly where that was. Oh. Favorite meal? Oh, pizza or pasta? I love carbs. Absolutely love carbs. And yeah, definitely pizza. If you have any Italian food. Send it your way? Yeah, exactly. What kind of pizza? This is important. Oh, I think I quite like like rocket and prosciutto pizza. Rocket. Oh, it's great. Rocket is the worst tasting veg I've ever had in my life. It's disgusting. Oh, jeez. Okay. That's delicious. And well, pretty much any pizza. Honestly, give me just a margarita and I'll still absolutely demolish it. So, Favorite vacation spot? Maybe not. A, my favorite travel kind of trip has been Southeast Asia. So I went when I was um, you know, still at university and that was just so much fun. So I went to Vietnam and Laos. And so Southeast Asia was amazing. Favorite travel destination. It's always great to go back to Portugal, visit my parents' you know, villages. Yeah, that's always a great destination where in portugal are they from yeah so my mum's up north so she's they call them like they call it behind the mountains so she's quite up north and gets super cold up there um really small village like 150 people in the village yeah and now there's about 20 so there's not a lot to do but still it's really nice like it's in the middle of big big bush and a lot of farms around there and yeah super nice and my dad's from an island called Madeira you might have heard of it as you land into Madeira I kid you not you land into the Cristiano Ronaldo airport which is called the Cristiano Ronaldo airport because that's where he's from so yeah my dad's from the island of Madeira and he's near the Canary Islands yeah he grew up there and yeah, they both came here nice yeah and, and you said that they met in Australia yeah fantasy career do you have one yeah, it would. I think it, it definitely would be if I had better genes. <laughs> I would love. I would have loved to be an athlete or work in yeah in sport. It yeah, absolutely love watching sport. And I watch a lot of NRL in which is not AFL. It's the National Rugby League. And yeah, watch a lot of that. A lot of soccer. A lot of tennis. So any really any sport. I would have loved to be an athlete if I wasn't five foot seven, <laughs> short Portuguese boy. <laughs> I feel your pain. So (laughs) I'm right there with you. I love sports because it just gives you an immediate result. And it it shows if you work hard, you're going to score all these goals. If you take care of yourself, your body and everything else. Did you see Ronaldo at the press conference when he took the, he sits down, there's two Coke bottles. (laughs) He's just insane. It wiped, I think, five five billion. Yeah, it was actually insane. But he didn't throw him down. He just put him to the other side and promoted water. Like, no, I drink water. I'm putting Cokes in front of me. Oh, the funny thing is that the water was probably, you know, owned by Coca-Cola as well. <laughs> it's still, like, I mean, good good to promote, uh, good to promote water. <laughs> it, it's it's going to be in short supply, I think. Would you take an all-expense paid trip to the moon? Oh, probably not. I would be petrified. Yeah. Yeah. Let a few others go. Yeah, would you? I don't think so. If I gave you 100, 1,000, or 10,000 dollars or aussie dollars what would you what would you buy 100 bucks what would you do with it oh 100 bucks 100 bucks probably spend that at the pub <laughs> buy a round of beers <laughs> for the boys perfect a thousand oh a thousand <sighs> buy a second round of beers <laughs> <laughs> probably I, anything a, a thousand I, I definitely use to travel I definitely love the experience of traveling and you, know, you learn so much just, you know, observing other cultures and spending time in a different place. So I definitely use the thousand on yeah, travel and 10,000 on something a bit more sensible. Maybe, I don't know, buy some stocks. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Any, if you could have any superpower, what would you want? Oh, it'd be good to be invisible. Why? Like you get a get away with the I don't know you you could just get away with the little thing. Sounds it sounds creepy, but <laughs> but you like being seen. <laughs> you you like building relationships. You like meeting people. Yet you want to be invisible. It's interesting. 
I think it's there, there are certain conversations. Yeah, there'll be certain conversations that it'd be super fascinating to just be a fly on the wall and just be there and absorb without people knowing that you're there. <laughs> so I think, yeah, and I haven't given it much thought. Do you have um, a preferred superpower? Oh, I should always be prepared if somebody were to turn the tables on me. I think flight would be pretty darn cool. I love birds and it would be cool to fly, to get over everything, to get from point A to point B, not deal with the traffic. So I think flight would be somewhere up there. Do you have a favorite fast food restaurant based on our conversation? Either you're going to love it or hate where you worked. I'm not sure. I actually don't don't go there often. It's, it's up there. Favorite fast food, I really like a Porto. I'm not sure if that's a just an Australian thing, but yeah, it is. Oh, you can't go can't go wrong with Macca's as well. McDonald's. Yep, definitely have every single road trip is filled with you know a number of McDonald's trips. I just feel so bad, but tastes so good. Well, it it you you go into it like so happy. You come out. Oh, I ate too much. Uh, favorite candy bar. Favorite candy bar. I do. I am a fan of the Kinder Bueno. To what? A chocolate bar. It's a chocolate bar. Kinder. It's a Kinder Bueno. Is that is that Aussie or Portuguese? Do you know? Have you heard of Kinder? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 Aussie. It's the Kinder chocolate eggs. Do you have those over there? Cadbury. Yeah, it will. It's same thing. So it's British. That is good chocolate. It's not 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 necessarily Cadbury. I don't know. You have to try it next time you next time you're down here. All right. Final question: If you could have dinner with anybody, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, that one's easy. That's that that legitimately is Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I think if my friends listen to this, they I'd be lying to everyone if I didn't say. Ronaldo. So the reason why you're on, because you keep referring to listeners, I only have two and they're my sisters. So the reason why you're here is to bring on other listeners. So all your mates better be tuning in for this one. That would make it a uh, positive for the both of us. So excellent, excellent podcast. Really, really good stuff, Alex. Thank you very, very much for being on. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time. No worries. Hey, thanks so much for having me. This has been, you know, a lot of fun and yeah, a lot of, uh, it's been awesome to just reflect on yeah, like the grad program, my time in banking, KFC, didn't didn't think I'd be going back that far. So thanks so much. Imagine when you start, you know, getting more traction and more career under under your wings. So got a great, great future ahead of you. So thanks again. Cheers. Thanks, Gary. Thanks.